Hey everyone, and welcome to Be The Leader You Deserve podcast, where my mission is to inspire you to ask yourself, are you the leader you deserve? Hi, I'm Jill Handley, and I am so excited to be here with you today. This is season seven, episode eight, The Art of Waiting, How to Go Slow to Go Fast. But before we get started with today's episode, I do wanna give a shout out to our new listeners from the Dominican Republic. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, so this season has to be one of my favorites because I get to chat with principals from across the country and learn at the same time. Today, I am joined by the principal of Riley Upper Elementary School located in Livonia, Michigan, John Winstrom. So in addition to leading his own school, John is very active with MIMSPA and NAESP and is the president-elect of the Rotary Club in Livonia. Welcome, John. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was really sad. John and I, through communication, uh, realized that he was here in Louisville not too long ago at the NAESP conference, and sadly, we didn't get to connect in person, but I'm really looking forward to connecting with him next year. Absolutely. Looking forward to meeting in person. All right, John, so as we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the school that you lead? Well, uh, this is my 28th year in education. I've been a classroom teacher, a high school wrestling coach, a chief academic officer, uh, and my favorite job. Um, I am also a proud father of daughters Marina, who's now 20 years old, and Mira, who's 18 and just graduated. So uh, it's an exciting time. And I am also uh, moving into a new building this year. So Riley um, is a new building for me. It's a five, six building. We have about 650 students. Um, and this will be a, a real interesting change for me because for the last uh, 10 or 12 years, I've done uh, kindergarten through fourth grade. So I'm looking forward to new challenges, new opportunities, and working with a new team this fall. Wow, John, that's really courageous, you taking that leap this late in your career. Kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, and 5-6, because I know here in, in Kentucky, uh, they do we do K-5 and then 6-8 and then 9-12. So 5-6, uh, that's a really interesting combo when you've got 600 fifth and sixth graders. Wow. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just in the process right now of moving into the building and looking forward to connecting with my new staff here in just a week or so. Oh, wow. What, what a great time for you. Um, and again, how brave of you to be starting brand new, especially when I know you were leading great things at your previous school. So congratulations on that new move. Thank you. So in 28 years, John, undoubtedly, you've got so much to be proud of as a leader. But when you try to think about what it is, if you could nail down one thing that you feel like you are most proud of, what would you say that is? Well, my answer is always the same with all of the buildings I've worked in or had the pleasure of working in throughout the years is the amazing work that's done by our team. I feel that um, really nothing happens unless everyone chips in, works together, and it makes the school and the work we do our own. So I'm proud to be you know, part of a profession that literally changes the future uh, mm -hmm. for the better and being surrounded every day by people who have answered the call to dedicate themselves, you know, to making a difference. Um, you know, I'm proud of the teachers who taught virtually in person and everything in between these past two years and never missed a beat. 
Um, I always say if I could describe teachers in one word, it's resilient. Mm, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, that um, that COVID really got us. Um, that's for sure. Absolutely. Now, now John, this isn't um, necessarily um, a question that I, you know, kind of prepped you with beforehand, but I'm going to kind of lead off of what you said in addition to, you know, you're taking on a new building. And so, you know, being proud of the teachers and we know that that, you know, comes from particularly in these challenging times creating a culture um, that of greatness. So I know there are lots of principals who are listening to this that, you know, you're not a first year principal, but you're new to your building. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what goes through your mind as you get ready to open a new school relating to, to culture? I think the, the first thing we have to do, especially coming into a, a new building is listen. We have to listen to the stories. One of the things that I, I do when I come into a new building, and I, I did it for this group as well, too, is I sent out a quick little survey and, um, you know, of getting to know you. And the first thing I usually ask is, what are you proud of? What are the traditions that you want to keep going um, as, as we go through? And what I have found is that themes appear very quickly. Um, usually when, uh, you know, for a building culture, there are two or three core things that people are just proud of. It might be the way that they connect with the community. It might be uh, the extracurricular things they do for students. But that's really important for me as a building leader coming in because to set a positive culture um, and a collaborative culture, the first thing I need to know is what are you proud of? What are the traditions here that have been working well? Um, obviously I bring my own leadership style. Every leader does. Um, and, and I have uh, things that I'm passionate about, but I want to start by building on those things that are already, uh, working well in the building. So that's the first thing I would say is listen, hear their stories. And that is such a valuable piece of advice. Um, I think, and you know, I know that you mentor new principals as well. Um, don't you think that that's probably, um, a mistake? that they often make is trying to come in with their own agenda without listening first and, and valuing what's been going on before they got there. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's the, it'll, it'll, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And, and that's the thing it's as building principles. Uh, it's not about how fast we can get from point A to point B it's, you know, where do we want to go? And we need to make sure we're all going in the same direction together. And to do that, you have to go slowly. You have to listen. You have to collaborate and bring folks together. Gosh, that is such great advice. I wish, um, I wish you know, those things existed back in principal prep. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and as an experienced leader, you know that, you know, we learn a lot from one another, but we also learn a lot from our experiences and oftentimes our failures. So when you reflect on all the things that you've learned as a leader, what are two or three of the things that you feel are most impactful to share with our listeners that will help support our fellow leaders? Well, I, I have learned a lot through the years and most of them, most of the things I've learned have been through my mistakes and failures. <laughs> and so um, you have 28 years worth of mistakes to, uh, to draw on. But um, I, one of the things that I, I've learned is that being a leader doesn't mean that you have answers. I feel that a lot of times new principals, uh, you know, when they come in, they feel that they have to have the answers right away. Uh, or that they have to give an answer right away. And what I've learned through the years uh, is that sometimes, you know, I need to go to 
you know, the, the experts in the building. Um, I need to lean on on their expertise, whether it's curriculum, whether it's technology, whatever it may be. Um, and, and again, most importantly, is that uh, everything doesn't need an immediate answer. It's okay to say, you know what, let me think on that, um, or I'm going to get back to you, or I'm going to I'm going to do some digging. I think people much prefer that than uh, shooting from the hip, giving an answer that may or may not be correct. Um, or that you have to go back and change later. I, I have learned the art of waiting and saying, you know what, I'm going to get back with you on that and, and give you a, you know, a, you know, responsible and well thought out answer. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of mentioned it too, again, of also not feeling that you have to be the expert. Um, you know, strong leaders have strong people around them. I, I shine when my staff shines. Um, and that has been a, uh, a big component of, of learning along the ways are, you know, you know, grow those leaders around you. Because again, uh, when, when they're looking good, when they're shining, you shine. Um, and then the last thing I'm going to say, again, still kind of along the same lines is learn to say, oops, <laughs> um, I, I feel that a lot of times, as especially uh, newer leaders, you know, we're afraid to admit mistakes. Um, it's okay to say, you know what, um, I, I messed up and um, I'm going to work to correct that. Um, you can't be an authentic leader if you do not model humility and owning your own mistakes. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and wouldn't you say, John, too, I know this has been my experience uh, because you do have a lot of pressure because all eyes are on you. But I have found when I am humble um, and own, you know, my my mistakes that people not only appreciate the authenticity, but they kind of that's kind of like you giving them permission to be humble and admit their mistakes, too. <laughs> Absolutely. We're modeling for our staff. If that's what we want from our staff. Um, and, you know, is ownership and humility and, and willing to take risks uh, and make mistakes. We need to do it ourselves. And I can promise you, John, that new leaders, well, heck, experienced leaders too, but especially new leaders really appreciate that advice that you just gave, particularly around that you don't have to be the expert in everything. Because I think when we become new leaders, we often feel like, okay, I've got to prove myself to prove to the committee that they made the right choice. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, it feels like I have to know and be everything to everybody. So I know for a fact that that's advice I wish I would have had it as a new principal. And I'm positive that our principals listening today are going to really appreciate that. Good. So, um, so speaking of things I didn't learn in principal <laughs> prep, <laughs> what are one or two things that um, you wish they would have told you in principal prep? Well, I, I wish there would have been more of an emphasis on the very first job and the most important job we have as building leaders is establishing culture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was just at a, uh, a conference recently, well, NASB, and, uh, you know, Todd Whitaker uh, there said, you know, leaders need to create the culture and teachers need to contribute to it. Uh, mm -hmm. But we need to set that tone in our building of having that shared vision of excellence of collaboration, um, you know, uh, optimism, but that really needs to be first. I feel that sometimes people come into a building or a, a new role and they think, you know, I'm going to, um, and, and don't get me wrong, we still need to do this. You know, we're going to improve student achievement. We're going to grow with this. Um, that absolutely is our goal. We want excellence for all of our students and all of our staff, but we have to start with that foundation of building a culture 
of respect and trust. And those other goals will happen from there, but we need to lay that foundation. So I, I do feel that, again, it's the old go slow to go fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing I wish they would have said in leadership prep is the connection with other leaders. We all need mentors. Uh, I'm 28 years in. I still have people that I call on a regular basis to bounce ideas off, um, you know, to, you know, ask for help. But also, you know, I try to connect with other people who are starting out so that I can help them grow because I learn from them as well, too. So it's those connections, Uh, you know, what we're doing right now, just connecting with each other, Mm -hmm. um, learning from each other. Um, that's so important. And again, as you said, it can be a lonely job. It absolutely can. And one of the things I've learned too, is that, you know, I think sometimes when people are like, I don't have capacity to learn anything new. For me, it's not always about connecting to learn something new. Sometimes it's like, oh, you've got the same challenge or like I'm listening to you (laughs) today and I'm like, Yes, that's exactly the way that I feel, you know, is that whole culture piece. So sometimes it's just affirming your decision making that you're on the right track. So so mm-hmm. it's not always about reaching out to, you know, sometimes it is learning something new. But I think when people are like, I don't have time to add one more thing to my plate. To me, it's almost like this takes something off your plate because it's allowing you to share within your network and get outside the box of your district. I know that's something that's really important because oftentimes in districts, everybody kind of operates in the same direction. And so you, you sometimes get with those blinders on as if, oh, this, there's got to be another way. And so being able to talk with other principals from across the nation is so exciting to one, hear, okay, we've got some of the same challenges and celebrations, but two, just a small take, a difference on the take of how they approach things is so appreciated. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's getting that different lens mm-hmm. um, that we don't get outside of our, uh, unless we go outside of our district, our building, uh, and so forth. So absolutely. So gosh, in 28 years, I would imagine that you've probably experienced quite a few challenges along the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when you think about if you had to identify what you would consider to be your toughest challenge as a leader, what would that be? And then the second part of that is, so how did you overcome that? Oh, gosh. Well, I not to sound cliche here, but I, I have to say navigating through COVID was probably the biggest challenge of mm-hmm. my professional career. Um, you know, from, uh, you know, overnight, uh, for sure, we went, you know, from uh, in-person to virtual. But then the following year, I had to assign staff to become virtual teachers. So I had some teachers who were in-person, some were who were virtual Um those were really difficult decisions uh, to make and, uh, you know, to coach staff through that. And then, you know, we had ever-changing protocols uh, mm-hmm. for a year, a year and a half. Um, and that was tough. And just, you know, that I faced um, as, you know, as a building leader was I, I take the emotional well-being of my staff, my students, and my community, you know, very seriously. And Mm -hmm. that really weighed heavy on my heart. I would go home uh, knowing that they were exhausted, tired, frustrated. um, And then I would internalize a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also the the feeling of being on call 24-7. It was really an emotionally draining um, you know, a couple of years. And, and so that was, that was a big challenge. And as far as, 
you know, what did I learn from it? I guess what I learned from it uh, or overcame is that, um, you know, together we literally can get through, through and, um, and it really was those partnerships, those, those collaborations, those, you know, sometimes of just venting, you know, getting those, uh, you know, uh, emotional, uh, you know, feelings out and moving, uh, together, uh, ahead with them. So, it was it was a challenging time, and I also say, you know, you know, whatever whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Well, that, <laughs> that certainly did, you know, show us that we could do that. Um, it also showed me how innovative we can be too. We took so many things, and again, we didn't do anything that other people didn't do. But I'll give a, a quick example. I, I used to do a a weekly uh, gathering um, assembly to start our week off. Well, when we couldn't do that anymore. Um, I took, uh, to virtual, uh, meetings and, and put it out to the public and story time readings and things like that. And it showed that we still could connect, uh, and meet with, uh, with one another. Yeah, for sure. Is you, if you're like me, like I was so amazed with my staff, like they're so amazing with, but I was a little surprised with myself. You know, it kind of pushed, you know, you, you alluded to this good leaders. We have to model vulnerability and taking risks. But um, I think uh, that opportunity, I've talked to so many leaders who, even though they were the most trying times, it, it's not like it almost built more capacity within the culture that, that, you know, we got to all suffer through this together, if you will, to come out on the other mm-hmm. side. And then once we got on the other side, we were really all surprised at ourselves um, about just how far we had all grown. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And now, John, one of the things, you know, I heard you talk about, which is really kind of, um, I guess I'll call it the downside, if you will, to education, is particularly being a principal, is that feeling like you're on call 24 seven and, and, you know, taking our, you know, I, and I think you would agree, our number one job is to take care of our staff Mm -hmm. um, who take care of those, the little people or the big people, if you're a high school principal. Uh, So, but we also know that there's, you know, in addition to teacher burnout, leadership burnout is going to be going on. So this season, we've really been talking about the importance of setting boundaries. Can you share a little bit about the boundaries that you've learned to share um, so that you don't burn out or some of the steps that you take to to have some intentional time for yourself? You bet. Well, in full disclosure, um, I'm terrible um, at setting <laughs> boundaries. Um, and I am, st- it's something I continually work on every single year when I put my, you know, professional and personal goals down, that's always on my list because I, I struggle with it. Um, and, and I think one of the reasons I haven't burned out is because I still true do truly love what I do. And I do get energized from, you know, meeting with my staff and collaborating with, with, with other principals. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I've, you know, been so involved with MEMSPA and NASP is because I do draw energy from that. However, mm-hmm. the, the downside to that is um, it sometimes can lead to, you know, not setting those boundaries. And, you know, my personal relationships have, have certainly, it's taken a toll on them of not having those, um, you know, those, those boundaries. So mm-hmm. things that I've, I've been trying to, I've been getting better at it is, putting, uh, you know, parameters on, you know, messages of when I can be contacted and when I contact. So at mm-hmm. setting a certain point at night of saying, hey, after, you know, 7 p.m., you know, I'm not going to read or respond to, 
you know, work items and I'm not going to, you know, do this over the weekend, uh, at least maybe not until Sunday evening, but, uh, <laughs> um, and, but also modeling for my staff of, you know, I'm not going to send you text messages, you know, after 7 PM and I'm not going to text you on the weekends because, um, one, I want a model of, I don't want, you know, them to send me messages, but two of saying, you know, of modeling for them of saying, it's okay to turn off that computer. It's okay to, you know, things will still be here in the morning when we, when we get back in. So th that continues to be an area of focus and probably will be throughout the rest of my career that I struggle with. Um, but, you know, I'm aware of it. And so it's just something that I will continually, you know, keep working on. Well, you know, and John, you mentioned something there that I think um, you kind of, uh, you know, sometimes people need to clear up because I, I like you, like I draw energy from working with others or attending conferences or listening to podcasts or reading educational, you know, leadership type things. And people are like, you're always working. So drawing the difference between um, working until 10 o'clock at night on these compliance documents at work. Yes, those are boundaries I need to set. But mm -hmm. if it's listening to a podcast that I'm choosing or reading an educational book that I'm choosing, oftentimes people are like, you've got to give yourself a break. And I'm wanting people to understand that sometimes when you're passionate about that, that that, that doesn't deplete from your bucket, but it kind of re-energizes. And, and that's okay. Because I think sometimes people think that if they touch anything work-related or going to a conference or anything that that is just contributing to that, uh, that burnout, but letting people know that if that's your thing and that energizes you, that's okay to do that. Um, and, you know, and don't make people make you feel bad about it, especially non-educators. Uh, don't make, you know, don't try to make you feel bad about wanting to invest in yourself and your career because that's okay. Absolutely. And I, and I, I have friends that think I'm crazy for going to summer conferences. <laughs> They're saying, well, you got five weeks off in the summer and you spent two weeks at conferences. But, you know, just as you said, I, I do. It does fill my bucket to connect with with other educators and to learn from them. And so you're right. It's more uh, for me. The draining things are exactly what you said. Some of those items that are just there, uh, you know, paperwork wise and uh -huh. uh, schedule wise that. Um, th those can be draining and, you know, learning to, to turn off that computer and the emails. So speaking of other people who energize us, uh, we know as educational leaders that we are our own best resources. Who are three people that you are connected with on social media or that you like to read about uh, or, you know, three resources that we should all know about or people that we should follow to get connected with? All right. I have a, it's hard to narrow down my professional learning network to three people, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you three people that I, I feel that are must follows to connect with because they truly are the real deal. They're people who will email you back uh, and help and inspire you. Um, one is Sean Gaylord. Um, he is the uh, author of The Pepper Effect, but he also started the movement Celebrate Monday, which okay. I just took with and ran at my school, actually in several schools now, where we we make Monday our celebration day and you know, we're, we're excited to get in. And I, I talk about with parents and it just helped it change the uh, culture of positivity for Monday. So Sean Gaylord uh, is one. Uh, Allison Apsey, uh, another dear friend. Uh, she's an author, presenter, um, uh, former principal, was, was a principal for many years. Um, he wrote serendipity books, but um, she and I have done, you know, projects together. We've done 
video uh, programs and so forth. Um, but she is just an inspiring human being. And then my last is Jimmy Casas, um, author of Culturize. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting Jimmy many times. And I'll never forget the first time I met him in Chicago. Um, we had only been before connected on Twitter. And he came right up to me, uh, started talking with me. And I, I thought to myself, this guy's the real deal. He is, he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And um, every time I've met him since, uh, he's the same way. Th these are all three inspiring people um, who are true blue uh, educators. That's awesome. Thank you. I, I actually attended one of Allison's sessions. I think every NASP conference I've been to, I've attended her sessions. So, so that's awesome. And it, it is nice to connect. I know I, um, I attended um, Todd Nesloni and Adam Welcome mm -hmm. sessions a couple of years ago, and they were both actually on the podcast in a couple of seasons ago. And so seeing them in person, it really is kind of like that. Wow. Yep. Um, and when people are just so genuine and real and, and, you know, I love that is that we, we really are just kind of all in this together. So, so thank you for that. All right, John. So last question that I did not send you ahead of time. Um, I want you to list three words that other people who know you would use to describe you. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope inspiring um, because that truly is my, that's my why of, I feel that, you know, my job is to inspire uh, the educators around me. So hopefully inspiring, um, probably goofy, um, or funny. Uh, you know, I, I, I try to bring humor, um, and levity into, I always say we work, we, we spend far too much time at work, not to laugh, mm -hmm. um, and, and have fun. So I, I would say, uh, humor, um, sometimes cheesy humor. <laughs> um, and then, Oh gosh, I, I would say, um, probably, uh, energetic. Cause I do have a tendency of not slowing down and I, I probably should get better at that. So those are, those are all great things. And just talking with you, I can see how all of those would match. <laughs> so John, you've given us so many great things to, to think about today, to take forward with us. If people want to reach you or kind of dig deeper into something that you were talking about today, how can people reach you? Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I hope people do because I, I've had so many people help me through the years. Um, and, and I want to, you know, return the favor and, and help anyone any way I can. So, um, Twitter is always an easy way to get a hold of me. It's at J O N underscore Wenstrom, W E N N S T R O M. Um, that's a quick and easy way to, uh, to get a hold of me. And, uh, you know, I certainly will respond. And if I can help anyone in any way, uh, that's part of, uh, paying it back for the folks who have helped me. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today and good luck on your new school year, your new school. Thank you very much. I'm excited. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, The Art of Waiting, How to Go Slow to Go Fast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Now, friends, if this is your first episode or you've not listened to any of the other episodes in season seven or one, two, three, four, five, or six, I encourage you to give them a listen and let me know what you think. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
to make sure that you get automatic episode updates. In fact, friends, do it right now. You won't be sorry. And if we are connected on Twitter and LinkedIn, let's change that status. Finally, leaders, please take a minute to leave an honest review and rating on Apple Podcasts. They really do help me out when it comes to the ranking of the show, and I make it a point to read every single one of the reviews I get. All right, leaders, have a great week, and don't forget to ask yourself, am I the leader I deserve, and what am I doing about it?